You're listening to the Metamore City Podcast, episode 33, for January 11th, 2009. Warning. This episode contains mature themes and explicit language. It also contains depictions of non-consensual degradation and slavery, which some individuals may find disturbing. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Metamore City, a podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www.metamorecity.com. Hey there, Metamorphs. Happy New Year. This is Chris Lester, the creator, producer, and head author of the Metamore City podcast. And I hope that you guys have had a wonderful last two weeks. I know that they've been fantastic for me. I've gotten a chance to spend the last two weeks largely in the company of some of my favorite people in the potosphere. Philippa Ballantyne, Dan Sawyer, Kitty Nakian, Cunning Minx. They've all been very much a part of my life in the last couple of weeks, and that has been a tremendous joy for me. So thank you very much for opening your house up to us, Dan and Kitty, for all of the wonderful discussions that we've been having lately. And for those of you guys who have not yet heard about these discussions because you're not following us on Twitter, you can expect to see some very special episodes coming up in the feed very soon here. Uh, Pip and Dan and Kitty and I did an interesting roundtable about sex in podcasting. And we also did a couple of feedback shows for both Metamore City and Antithesis, which were an absolute laugh riot to record. These people are so much fun to hang out with, and I'm really looking forward to finding new and interesting opportunities to spend even more time with them in the future. Yes, by now, some of you have heard about the pod commune plans that we've been scheming about. Yes, it's true, and it is not a joke. We are seriously looking for a space to rent in the Bay Area. And hopefully this is not going to just be a pipe dream, and it will be the start of some really fantastic things for the podcasting community, but more specifically for us, because these are wonderful people, and I want to be able to spend more time with them. Plus the opportunity to have both a real kick-ass recording studio and a house full of some of the brainiest, most interesting, most fun-to-be-around people that I have ever met. How could I say no to that? Okay, enough gushing on my part, because I know I could go on all night about how much fun I've been having lately. But you guys are here to hear the story, and I'm very grateful for that. So without further ado, here is Chapter 23 of Making the Cut, and here to introduce it is MANPA of the Fanboy Hell podcast, and better late than never. Take it away, MA. Hi, this is M.A. and P.A., and I play Rebecca in Making the Cut. You can also hear me on the podcast Fanboy Hell and in the soon-to-be-reborn podcast Better Late Than Never. You can find Fanboy Hell at www.fanboyhell.com and Better Late Than Never at www.blatn.net. And here is the story so far. Elder Miriam Bakhtavar has made powerful enemies in her service to the Psy Collective. Her agents have been hunting relentlessly for Victor Pinkavos, who seduced one of Miriam's students and took her away from the collective to bear his child. She also sponsored a mission to break into the front company for the Vampire Crime Syndicate. Her agents stole top-secret syndicate files and set fire to the office while making their escape. 
Now Miriam's actions have finally caught up with her. After a tip-off from Victor, Miriam was ambushed on the subway by a team of vampires led by Braddock, the sadistic second-in-command of the Syndicate in Metamore City. Miriam disabled most of the vamps and got to the front of the train, where she decoupled the trailing cars and would have made her escape. But Braddock had expected the move and was waiting for her on the roof of the car. Miriam threw herself from the moving train in an effort to escape. Fleeing through the partial vacuum of the subway tubes, injured and oxygen deprived, Miriam had almost made it to safety when Braddock caught her. She passed out and awoke three days later with a dead heart, a cold body, and an insatiable hunger clawing at her stomach. When she tried to escape from the penthouse apartment where she found herself, she was ushered into the presence of the man responsible for her new undead existence, the vampire prince, Malcolm Ardvalos. Chapter 23 Miriam stood face to face with the vampire prince of Metamore City. Part of her wanted to attack him, to destroy this crime lord who posed such a threat to her people. As she looked on him, though, as she gazed into those faded green eyes that commanded instant attention and compliance, she knew that she could sooner take her own life than harm him. Some instinct deep inside her spoke to her with absolute conviction. This is the master. His word is law. I see you're looking much better, he said, his voice pleasant and cultured. You were a bit of a mess when Braddock brought you in. He ran a finger along the neck of the thrall nestled beside him, mopping up the two thin lines of blood that dribbled from her wounds. She shuddered in ecstasy under his touch, letting out a soft murr of pleasure. He raised the finger to his lips and licked it absently. Miriam's stomach growled, and she moaned in spite of herself. Yes, Malcolm said thoughtfully. I imagine you must be hungry now. The change will do that to you. Fortunately... I have something to help you with that. He turned his head, and abruptly Miriam found that she could move again, though that soul-deep instinct still prevented her from taking any action against him. Malcolm, for his part, seemed not to notice the struggle taking place inside her. Or, if he noticed, he had no doubts about how it would end. He reached down beside his chair and grasped the end of a chain, then tugged on it twice. From behind the chair, another woman crawled into view. Unlike the thrall at Malcolm's side or the ones at his feet, this one was not dressed in a white cotton shift. She was naked, and the collar around her neck was her only ornamentation. She must have been beautiful once. A half-elven woman, perhaps thirty-five, with porcelain white skin and opalescent hair that shimmered like mother of pearl. Her slender body was covered with the scars from dozens of bites. She did not look up as Malcolm guided her to a spot between himself and Miriam. This one is for you. I must confess, it no longer interests me, but it's healthy and its blood is sweet. Take good care of it, and it should last another two hundred years at least. He held out the end of the chain to Miriam. Go on, take it. Consider it a present to celebrate your first day in between. Miriam felt sick. She knelt down in front of the thrall and tried to meet her eyes, but the woman shied away and looked at the floor. Malcolm chuckled. <laughs> That's why you need the chain, Miriam. 
He gave it a tug, and the woman's head jerked back, bringing her eyes up to meet Miriam's. They were a pale lilac color, which would have been beautiful had she not been so afraid. The woman froze as soon as their eyes met and stared at Miriam as if hypnotized. Miriam could feel her will reaching out to surround the woman, enveloping her, testing her strength. The thrall's defenses were like tissue paper, and she immediately submitted herself to Miriam. With astonishment, Miriam saw the woman's entire mind spread open before her, passively awaiting whatever command she might give her. She was an empty vessel waiting to be filled. Shaken, Miriam rose to her feet and took the end of the chain from Malcolm. Very good. A fledgling vampire can learn a lot from her first thrall. Responsibility, dominance, submission, and the importance of the hierarchy. This one is yours to do with as you wish. The thrall nuzzled up against Miriam's side, wordlessly brushing her cheek against Miriam's leg. Miriam absently stroked the woman's hair, as if she were comforting a dog, then realized what she was doing and felt disgusted with herself. Can I set her free? Malcolm laughed, a low, rich sound full of genuine amusement. <laughs> Anything except that. This one knows too much about my operations. In any case, it's so domesticated now that I doubt it could survive on its own. Miriam looked down at the wretched creature beside her. Damn it, he's probably right. You may go ahead and taste it if you like. Don't worry about the carpet. It's enchanted to repel stains. The sooner you drink from it, the sooner you'll be able to make it truly yours. The thrall craned her neck, exposing her throat to Miriam. Her hunger screamed at her to be satisfied, but Miriam was used to disciplining her body. She focused her psychometabolic powers and commanded her stomach to be silent. She couldn't actually satisfy her hunger through the use of her abilities, but she could block it out for long periods of time. Or, at least, she'd been able to before. She didn't know how long it would last, but her stomach's rumbling did fall silent. No thank you, Mr. Ardvalos. She stood up a bit straighter, but that inner compulsion to submit kept her eyes on the floor. I thank you for your generous gift, but I prefer to dine in private. Malcolm gave her a knowing smile. As you wish. In that case, I will give you your instructions and let Braddock show you to your new apartment. Miriam lowered her head and nodded once. The sooner Malcolm dismissed her, the sooner she could get around to ending this abominable half-existence. What would you have me do? The vampire prince sat back in his chair, letting the blonde thrall beside him nuzzle up against his shoulder. He stroked her hair absently as he spoke. I'm concerned about your people, Miriam. I've been watching them over the last couple of centuries, and I don't much like the way things have been going. My people would probably say the same thing about you, sir. Malcolm chuckled again. <laughs> probably so. But let's be honest here, Miriam. Your people are a disruption of the natural order. Mother Lilith created us to feed on humans to have mastery over them. That's our birthright as the top predators in the food chain. But then your people come along and all of a sudden we have to worry about our livestock resisting our will. Or, worse yet, putting compulsions in our minds when we try to eat. He grinned, his pointed canines gleaming in the bright light of the room. 
That's about as disturbing as if cows evolved opposable thumbs and a taste for human flesh. A sick dread settled in the pit of Miriam's stomach. What do you propose to do about this, Mr. Ardvalos? He snorted. Hm, all right. You can stop with the Mr. Ardvalos business. Would you address a king by his last name? I suppose not. What would you have me call you then, sir? He shrugged. Sir will do in a pinch. Master is better. You can also call me my lord or my liege if you're of a more old-fashioned bent, which I can imagine you might be, given your age. Sire is a title that properly belongs to Braddock, since he's the one who brought you across. But you can also use it to refer to anyone in his direct bloodline, meaning me and our queen above me. Miriam nodded once more. As you wish, my lord. Very good. Now then, getting back to the question. I was content to leave your people alone, Miriam. Oh, certainly, I intended to take some precautions to develop certain defenses to protect my interests. But the plain fact is that you weren't a big enough problem to bother starting a war over. Miriam blinked. But you just said we were a disruption to the natural order. And so you are. But war is terribly bad for business, Miriam. My organization prospers because we impose order on chaos. Humans have an insatiable appetite for their vices. Sex, gambling, drugs. We serve that appetite while keeping the more destructive side under control. Ever wondered why you don't see the street crime on the upper levels of the city? Because we don't allow it. It's not the police who keep the criminal element under control, Miriam. It's us. He shrugged. When you get into a war, that changes. The ugly events of street side start happening higher up. That's when you get shootouts at skyports and messy break-ins at fifth-level office buildings. All of a sudden, you're spending your time and money on eliminating threats instead of making more money. And that's not good for anyone. Miriam looked up, not quite at his eyes, but only a little below them. My lord, if you aren't planning to start a ward, then why take me? You must know that my people will be outraged as soon as they find out what you've done. Ah, yes, that is a concern. But then, given your egoist abilities, I don't really think that's going to be a problem. After all, here you are in front of me, your skin flushed with color, your heart beating. Once you have a good feeding, you'll even be able to bring up your body temperature. He put a finger to his lips, pursing them in thought. As a matter of fact, that's your first order. Whatever you're doing with your powers right now, keep doing it at all times. And make sure that you stay well fed so that you can keep your temperature at human norm. You're going to be our eyes and ears inside the collective, and we can't let you be discovered because you forgot to keep your heart beating. Oh, and obviously you're not allowed to tell anyone about what happened to you either, or about anything else you might learn about our organization, unless I tell you otherwise. He said the words casually, but they fell on her with the weight and power of a wizard's geish. She could not disobey him. The compulsion within her would bind him to his will, as surely as any spell. As you wish, my lord. See, now you're getting the hang of it. You will report to Braddock unless I call for you in person. 
keep him informed of anything the Collective might do that would pose a threat to our operations, especially if they're planning any more attacks like the one against Viscount. And any intelligence the Collective might pick up about what we're doing? Be sure to tell Braddock about that as well. Miriam just nodded. In another couple of hours, the sun would be up and it wouldn't matter anyway. Yes, my lord. Will there be anything else? Malcolm smiled. Probably. I don't have any other firm plans for the moment, but I'm sure I'll be calling you from time to time to do some misinformation for us. A rumor here, a false lead there. Sometimes we might need you to deliver a message or make a bit of evidence disappear. Mostly, we'll be using you to muddy the waters and keep the collective off balance. I want them paranoid enough that they don't try anything too risky, but not so paranoid that they launch another preemptive strike. I understand. Miriam wished that she could go back six months and tell herself about this conversation. After the commands he'd placed on her, though, she couldn't even tell the other elders. Good. Is there anything else I should be worried about? Anything that might expose you? If you can think of anything, tell me. Miriam swallowed nervously. She tried to keep silent, tried to tell herself that no, there was nothing, nothing at all. The plan was perfect. Sir, the other telepaths won't be able to touch my mind now. A vampire's mind is a blank slate. The only way to touch it is through the blood bond. Malcolm nodded thoughtfully. Normally, you're right, of course. But there has never been a vampire telepath before, either. So we're in uncharted territory. He gestured at the woman who still knelt by her feet. Can you enter a thrall's mind without the blood bond? Yes, sir. But her mind is so weak, I'm not sure that's saying very much. He nodded, conceding the point, then gestured at the group of women arrayed at his feet. Try these, then. They're a bit fresher than that one. See if you can enter their minds without looking at them. Obediently, Miriam closed her eyes and reached out to each of the women in turn. None of them had much in the way of mental resistance, and she quickly established psychic contact with all of them. She broke the link and opened her eyes. I can do it, sir. Well, there you have it, then. Just make sure you're the first to initiate contact, and they'll never be able to tell the difference. What if they try to read me first? Malcolm waved his hand dismissively. You're an elder. Your mental shields must have been pretty impressive even before this, yes? Yes, sir. Well, then. All you have to do is convince them that you've gotten better at hiding your mind than they are at reading it. Will that keep them from getting too suspicious, given that you don't look like a vampire? She nodded reluctantly. It should, my lord. He grinned. Excellent. In that case, there's just one small matter left to attend to. He nudged the thrall off of his lap and rose to his feet, stepping past the pile of women to stand in front of Miriam. He wasn't unusually tall, perhaps 170 centimeters, but he seemed to tower over her just by the sheer force of his presence. Get on your knees, Miriam. If she could have blushed, Miriam's face would have burned with shame. So, it's not enough to turn me. He has to humiliate me as well. Obediently, she fell to her knees in front of him, waiting for the inevitable. But Malcolm surprised her. Instead of unzipping his pants, as she had expected, he pushed up the cuff of his smoking jacket and bared his left arm. As she watched, he took a letter opener from his pocket and dragged it across his palm, 
creating a small incision. Blood welled up from the side of the wound, forming a little pool in his hand. Taste it. Miriam lowered her mouth to his hand and lapped once at the pool of blood. No sooner had she tasted it than a rush of narcotic ecstasy shot through her entire body. It was better than any drug, better than sex, better than anything she had ever experienced. Her control over her hunger shattered, and she began greedily running her tongue over his palm, licking up every last trace of blood. Within seconds the wound closed, but she wanted more, needed more. She felt fangs extend from the roof of her mouth, and she pressed them into his palm. No! Malcolm barked. He pulled his hand away, then slapped her with a vicious backhand, knocking her to the floor. He grabbed her hair and pulled her head back, exposing her throat. Her eyes met his, and any thought of resistance crumpled in the face of his indomitable will. The blood gift is bestowed at the master's pleasure, not the child's. Serve me well, and you shall taste that power again. Fail me, and there will be punishment. Do you understand me, Miriam? Yes. Yes what? She closed her eyes. Yes, master. He released her then, and she fell to the floor like a marionette whose strings had been cut. She couldn't look at him again, couldn't bear to feel the power of that will pressing down on hers. I'm done with you for now. Malcolm said, straightening his cuff and smoothing down the front of his jacket. The anger was still evident in his voice, but he was clearly working hard to regain his composure. Take your thrall and go. Braddock will show you to your new apartment. Miriam grabbed the end of the chain and meekly followed Braddock out of Malcolm's penthouse. The doors opened with a wave of his security badge, as did the doors to the lift across the hall. Braddock pushed the button for the 87th floor, and Miriam waited in silence as the doors closed and the lift began to move. Her thrall cowered in the corner of the lift car, as far from Braddock as possible. After a few seconds of silence, Braddock chuckled. (laughs) Damn, girl. You've got balls. I've never seen anybody try to steal blood from Malcolm before. Miriam felt strangely ashamed of herself. I didn't know. Yeah, I kind of figured that. He grinned and patted her ass. Don't worry, girly. We'll make sure we get you up to speed on the finer points of vamp society. She stifled the urge to shudder at his touch. Malcolm had been civil, even pleasant, but Braddock disgusted her. She submitted because she knew she had no choice. The same inner voice that had forbade her from striking out against Malcolm also told her that she must obey Braddock. Whatever else he might be, he was her sire, and her life, such as it was, was his. The door slid open, and Braddock led her down a hallway full of numbered doors, stopping at number 87-83. He pulled an electronic keycard out of his pocket and handed it to Miriam. Here you go. This is yours now. Tentatively, Miriam slid the card into the reader and opened the door. Inside, she found a fairly standard-looking apartment, though the curtains on the walls were quite a bit thicker than usual. She let go of the thrall's leash once they got inside, and the pale woman quickly scurried away from Braddock, disappearing into one of the bedrooms. Miriam found two more bedrooms, two bathrooms, and a large kitchen, in addition to the living room-slash-dining area. This seems like a lot of space for two people. 
Braddock chuckled. Yeah, well, you'd better plan on picking up a few more thralls soon. The one Malcolm gave you may be healthy, but I don't think she's going to last too long as your only source of food. Miriam nodded. I'll remember that. Thank you, sire. She paused. Is everyone in this building a vampire or a thrall? Nah, but everyone from about the 80th floor up is. The thralls take care of the housekeeping and the security team is top-notch. Oh, yeah, you need to sleep about eight hours a day to keep your strength up. Usually four on either side of 12 noon is about right. You can do it here without having to worry about anyone coming in to stake you. That's good to know. Please leave. Please leave now so I can figure out how to help that poor girl. I have to do something for her before the sun comes up. Hold on a tick. Braddock grabbed her chin and turned her eyes to meet his. He stared at her for a long moment before his face broke out in a sly grin. You little minx. You're planning something, aren't you? I can see it in your eyes. She swallowed hard. I swear, I wasn't planning to do anything to hurt you, sire. Not you, nor Master Malcolm. He nodded thoughtfully. No, I see you weren't. But you were planning something, that's for damn sure. Tell me what it was. She winced and gritted her teeth, trying to force back the words. Braddock slapped her. Out with it, bitch. What are you scheming at? I just want to die! Miriam cried as the words tore themselves from her throat. Great maker, I just want to walk in the sun one last time! She fell to her knees, sobbing. Oh, for fuck's sake, Braddock growled. He kicked her in the stomach, knocking her over. Are you really that damn noble? You don't want to spy on your own people, so you'd rather die? He kicked her again, harder. She felt a rib snap, then felt it shifting inside her as it started to grow back into place. Or are you just a fucking pussy who's too scared to draw the life in between? Is that it, Miriam? You just a whiny little cunt who wants to quit when it gets hard? I don't know! Oh, really? You don't know why you want to die? Well, that's not gonna work. He got down in her face, pinning her to the floor. Now you listen to me. You don't get to punch your own ticket, you understand me? You can bitch and moan all you want, but I forbid you to kill yourself. Don't you go letting anyone else try to do it for you. You got that? Yes, sire. She sobbed, feeling the last shred of hope drain out of her. There was nothing left, no means of escape. They had her and they weren't going to let her go. Not ever. Good. Braddock got to his feet. Now take off your clothes, bitch. Malcolm may be all dignified and mannerly, but I sired one sweet piece of ass, and I intend to use it. Numbly, Miriam got up and began to strip. She had no choice. Mistress? Consciousness returned slowly to Miriam. She knew she was awake only because of the returning awareness of pain. Pain and the reek of the various bodily fluids that covered her. Mistress, please get up. You need to feed. She didn't recognize the voice. It was female and sounded timid and scared, 
Miriam hoped the woman she called mistress would answer the girl soon. Cold. So cold. Why is that? Her thoughts felt jumbled, sluggish, like she was swimming through molasses. She tried to focus to re-engage her senses or move her limbs or do anything except lie there uselessly on the floor. But she couldn't seem to muster the energy. Gods, look what he's done to you, the girl said fretfully. A moment later, Miriam felt something warm and comforting drape itself over her naked body. A blanket, she supposed. Then gentle hands turned her over and rested her head in someone's lap. Instinctively, Miriam craned her neck and sniffed. She recognized the scent of the half-elven thrall. Her thrall. And at last she realized that the girl had been speaking to her. One warm hand touched the side of Miriam's face. The smooth skin of a woman's wrist brushed her lips. Drink, mistress. Please drink. Miriam's eyelids fluttered. She could hear the soft thrum of the girl's pulse in her wrist, and her stomach rumbled with a suddenly remembered hunger. But she still felt so weak, so listless, that she couldn't even summon the motivation to do anything about it. Gods, the girl whispered. She removed her wrist from Miriam's mouth and got up, carefully lowering Miriam's head to the floor. I'll be right back, mistress. Miriam lay there and tried to remember what had happened to her. Something was very wrong with her body. She knew from the pain that she was badly damaged, and she was not healing as fast as she ought to be. At the same time, her injuries were not bleeding in the way she would have expected. She realized that her heart had stopped beating, and she wondered if that had something to do with it. A moment later, the smell of fresh blood filled the room. The girl put Miriam's head in her lap again, then touched her wrist to Miriam's lips once more. The warm skin was wet with blood, oozing from a small incision. Immediately, Miriam lapped it up. A sudden jolt of energy shot through her body, and before she could even think about it, she had grabbed the girl's arm in both hands and was sucking on the wound like a child at her mother's breast. Awareness and memory flooded back to her. Braddock had used her savagely for hours. When she had tried to resist him, he beat her or cut on her, expressing his displeasure in fits of almost childish rage. At first, she had healed as quickly as he could hurt her, so then he took her blood as well as her dignity. Eventually, she fell into torpor, too drained for her undead body to regenerate any further. He must have left after she ceased to be interesting. Miriam opened her eyes and looked up at the thrall. She smiled down at Miriam, looking relieved. It's all right, mistress, she said, stroking Miriam's hair. Take as much as you need. The girl's blood tasted so sweet. Miriam had tasted blood before when she was still alive, and it had never been anything like this. She supposed that her vampiric sense of taste had been altered to crave what she needed to survive, in the same way that humans craved sugar. That thought disturbed her, and she wondered what other things might have changed without her realizing it. She forced herself to pull the thrall's arm away from her mouth. She focused her gaze on the girl's lilac eyes, then felt that strange bond of dominance and submission form between them. She had absolute control over this girl's life, as complete and inexorable as the power that Malcolm and Braddock had over Miriam herself. The girl's mind welcomed that control, that dominance, spreading itself wide before her in unconditional surrender. 
She could ask anything of this girl, anything, and she wouldn't hesitate for a moment to obey her. Miriam closed her eyes and put up a psychic wall, breaking the link. What is your name, child? Her voice was soft and hoarse. She felt a ripple of confusion from the girl. Mistress? Your name. I didn't sense it when I touched your mind. Oh. The girl suddenly sounded uncomfortable. Well, um, my name's not really important. Miriam took the girl's hand in hers and squeezed it briefly. It is to me. There was a long pause, so long that Miriam wondered if the girl had forgotten her name. Then she spoke in a timid whisper. Lena. My... My name was Lena. Miriam sat up and turned around to face Lena, wrapping the blanket more tightly around herself. She still felt cold and sluggish, but her mind was clear again, and her wounds were starting to heal. She looked down at Lena's arm and saw that the bleeding had stopped, no doubt because of the coagulants in Miriam's saliva. You didn't drink enough. Please, mistress, don't feel bad about taking more. Did... did you want to bite me somewhere else? The neck, maybe? Or... down here? She brushed a hand over the inside of her thigh. Master Malcolm used to say the blood was sweeter down there. Miriam shook her head, bewildered. Why are you doing this? Why do you want me to bite you? Because you need to. And if you don't do it soon, you aren't going to be able to stop. Miriam glanced up at her briefly. Lena's eyes were haunted. Do it now, please. While you can still remember that you... that you cared what happened to me. Miriam had thought she couldn't feel any colder, but a fresh chill ran down her spine at the half-elf's words. It's that bad? Lena nodded. Sometimes a fletchling gets their first thrall, and they don't want to drink. They starve themselves for days, until the mind snaps and there's nothing left but the beast. She looked away. The thralls always die. Great maker. Lena looked up at her, then craned her neck to one side. Try doing it here, mistress. She said, pointing to the hollow just above her clavicle. The skin was marked with dozens of overlapping scars. It's all soft tissue, and there aren't any big arteries. It's the easiest place for a beginner. She turned around until her back was facing Miriam, then looked back over her shoulder. Here, you can take me from behind. That way you don't have to worry about holding me up. Miriam closed her eyes and sighed. It was all so surreal, sitting here with this young woman earnestly giving her lessons on the best way to take her blood. She wanted to get out of the room and hide somewhere, but she knew that the hunger inside her wasn't going to go away. She imagined losing control of that hunger, waking up to find Lena's body on the floor, drained of its last drop of blood. She couldn't let that happen, and since Braddock had forbidden her to take her own life, there was only one way to prevent it. She got to her knees and came up behind Lena, placing her trembling hands on the half-elf's shoulders. I've never done this before, she said, then felt like a fool. Of course she hadn't done this before. Lena just gave her a little smile. It's okay. Your body knows what to do. 
Don't worry, I'll be fine. Miriam looked at the woman, with her collar and chain and her patchwork of scars, and wondered how on earth she could ever say that she was fine. But at the moment it didn't matter. Empty reassurance or not, Lena was freely offering what Miriam desperately needed, and the hunger inside told her that she could wait no longer. She pressed her mouth to the base of Lena's neck, in the spot the woman had shown her. She closed her eyes and breathed in the scent of her skin, listening as Lena's pulse began to quicken. She felt a surge of desire, and the uncanny sensation of her new fangs extending from the roof of her mouth. Then, with as much care as she could muster, she slowly slid them into Lena's flesh. Several things happened in quick succession. A set of muscles pulsed somewhere near her sinuses, injecting venom through the fangs and into Lena's body. The half-elf moaned in ecstasy and went limp in Miriam's arms. Carefully, Miriam withdrew her fangs, then covered the two wounds with her mouth. The blood welled up, but slowly, and Miriam found herself sucking at the wounds to draw more of that warm, sweet nectar into her mouth. An instant after that, the sharing began. And at last, Miriam understood. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City podcast right after these messages. Immortality, longevity, an endless lifespan. What would you do to become immortal? My name is McAllen Orsel. I'm a genetic scientist in New York. I'm caught in a secret war between two powerful groups of immortals. I've been told that I am a messiah to a group of people I barely know. I'm forced on a quest around the globe to fulfill a destiny I never chose. If only I can stay alive. From Christoph Leputka comes the Leviathan Chronicles, an audio adventure like you've never heard before. What is Leviathan? We have been among you for almost a millennia. What? Immortal? They can't know about Leviathan. Blow those charges. No! Why have you brought me here? You are here because we need your help. She was never trained for this. She was bred for it, Anton. But she doesn't know that. You'll need to find him, McAllen. To discover the Leviathan Chronicles and get the next dimension in podcasting, go to www.leviathanchronicles.com. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to live for a day as the opposite sex? Have you ever helped someone in a store and not known whether to address them as sir or ma'am? Do you wish you could wear a dress to work without getting fired? Do you bind, pack, tape, stuff, or tuck? Confused? If you've got questions about gender, I've got answers. Well, sometimes. Thinking about gender still raises more questions than it answers for me, too. Go to askatranny.libsyn.com to hear about my journey with gender and join in the conversation. Find out how you can become a gender outlaw today. This is Kim, the comic book goddess, from Geek Pantheon in your moment of Kim, and you are listening to the Metamore City Podcast. Thank you very much, Kim, and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. 
For those of you who don't recognize her, that is Kim the Comic Book Goddess from the Geek Pantheon podcast, and I definitely recommend that you check it out. We also have in this episode a new voice for the Metamore City cast. That was another Kim, specifically Kimmy Alexander. She is playing the role of Lena in this podcast, and I am so glad that we've finally gotten to the point where we can actually introduce her, because this turned out to be one of my favorite characters in the book. She was not in the original draft, and then she showed up and all of a sudden started doing things that were really interesting and had a very interesting story to tell, which you guys will find out more about in Chapter 24, which will be next episode. But yes, Kimmy did a great job with this character. She's a very complex character with a lot of sides to her. And Kimmy did a great job of bringing out all of those different facets of her character. And I think you guys are going to enjoy listening to her and her story. She's, uh, she's a fun one. It's not every day that you get one of these characters who shows up in your story and proceeds to have a really dramatic impact on the narrative which you didn't really see coming. And so I'm looking forward to sharing her story with you the way that uh, she unexpectedly shared it with me. We're not going to do any feedback in this show because we are saving up for the next feedback extravaganza between myself and Kitty McKeon and Dan Sawyer. Um, Those roundtable feedback shows are entirely too much fun to not do them, so... Keep sending in your comments. We will be doing another show pretty soon here. If you would like to contribute a voicemail, the number is 206-203-0994. That's 206-203-0994. You can also record your comments as an MP3 and send them to feedback at metamorecity.com. Or you can send in text messages to feedback at metamorecity.com. You can also leave your comments on the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group or on the listener-driven forums over at thecursed.org. we got some discussions going on over there in the Ask the Author forum as well as in the episode discussions. Go on and check it out. It's pretty cool. And I am going to stop talking at this point because it is almost 2.30 in the morning and my throat is hurting and... I want to go to bed sometime this evening, and I'm sure that you guys want to see this episode out. So, until next time, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. Some of the music on this podcast was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Some sound effects were provided by SoundSnap, at soundsnap.com, while others were provided by the Freesound Project, located at freesound.iua.upf.edu. Metamore City is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org.